Come on up, Andy. So good to have you with us. So for folks who are not sure who this is, this is Andy, uh, Andy Kind. He's been a professional comedian on the circuit for like 17 years. Um, he's a dear friend of mine as well. It's a privilege to count him as a friend. But he's also a writer. He's written books, Christian books, uh, funny books, um, and is also a preacher. And we're just delighted to have you with us this morning again, Andy, after last night. It's a, uh, you know, a late night, and then here you are again. We're getting our money's worth, you know, yeah. that's what we like to get. Um, but right. shall we just pray for Andy before he comes and speaks to us from God's word? So, Heavenly Father, we just ask for your grace and blessing to be on Andy now. We pray you would enable him to speak uh, words from your Holy Spirit as he unpacks uh, your written word. Show us again. Uh, the grace, the love, the wonder of Jesus and the gospel we ask through this man in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for coming last night. For those that you did, uh, it's my privilege to be here this morning. It is a change of pace uh, this morning, so I will take any uh, noises, any shouting out as a sign that the Holy Spirit is at work and not just a heckle that needs to be dealt with. but uh, I hope you enjoyed last night. I thought it was a wonderful gig. And I honestly, in 17 years, have never done um, an alpha launch gig that felt like a tour show uh, at a theatre. It was just in- insanely well organised, insanely well populated. So thank you. I've been incredibly blessed uh, by, by being here. And thank you for all the work that you've uh, put in. Hopefully this morning the Lord will speak to some of us. Um, I was, t- I was told that the younger people are expecting me to be funny. That's not going to happen. I'm, I'm sorry if the hour and 45 minutes of pure comedy I did last night was insufficient. I can tell you a couple of things uh, about my daughters. I told you about them last night. And um, they're just much cleverer than me. This is the problem. My daughters are cleverer than me. Uh, my daughter Heidi, uh, obviously the, the four-year-old, I came home from doing a gig. And I had to get up early with the girls. And uh, Heidi came in to me. Uh, at sort of 6.30 in the morning. She said, Daddy, this morning, you be a horsey and let me ride around on your back. I said, well, no, Heidi. Look, I love you very much, despite what I tell audiences. I do love you very much. (laughs) And at some point in the future, I'd love to be a horsey and let you ride around on my back. But this morning, Daddy's very, very tired. So what we're going to do, we're going to put Peppa Pig on. You're going to enjoy Peppa Pig. And Daddy's going to pretend to do some parenting while actually falling asleep on the settee and I have spoken that is my final answer to which she just looked at me with a scornful look and said horses don't talk daddy so that was it really for the ne- <laughs> for the next three hours <laughs> Alice is uh, Alice the ten year old she's um, she's very clever she's, she's already got me uh, outwitted I was trying to tell her off the other day because she beat me at chess and I don't I just don't like that sort of attitude in a child frankly <laughs> Uh, very disobedient. And I was trying to tell her off. And whilst I was telling her off, she was poking me in the corner of the face. <laughs> Just repeatedly. I said, Alice, sorry, young lady, what on earth do you think you're doing? I'm trying to discipline you here. She said, oh, sorry, Daddy. I was just trying to skip the ads like on YouTube. What are we... <laughs> I, I, got her ba- I got her back, though. I got them both back. Uh, because uh, uh, later, on, later on that day, Alice came in and said to me, Daddy, Heidi and I were playing hide and seek and she couldn't find me at all. So I've won. Do you think I'm a clever girl for winning hide and seek? I said, yes, I do. I do think you're very clever. Well done. Although you do know, don't you, that the current record holder is your older brother Mordecai. <laughs> she said, who? I said, exactly. Uh, 
We'll call that 1-1. Anyway, there we are. I've ticked that comedy box. And now we're into pure preaching. So, thank you for that uh, lovely reading. This morning's talk is called The Fallen Rise of the Apostle Peter. And the message to take away this morning is that you are not written off. You are not written off. The game is not over. The last three years have been, for most of us, to different degrees and at different times, an utter shambles, haven't they? Not just practically, but morally. So much of what we thought was the joy of the Lord being our strength turned out just to be home comforts. When so much was stripped away, we realized that we weren't the strong Christians that we thought we were. We were just comfortable and we were safe. We were saved and we were safe. And all of a sudden, lots of us don't feel like we're safe. But guess what? We're still saved. And guess what? For every wound you've taken, there's a healing that can happen. So lots of you over the last three years have probably asked questions about you and about life and about God that you never thought you would have to ask. I know I have. Some of you have probably taken wounds that you never thought God would let you take. I know I have. And it's hard. And you know what? Being wounded is not a sign of spiritual immaturity. Depression is not a sign of spiritual immaturity. It's a sign of spiritual warfare. Nobody is immune. And nobody is left alone. And you see, however you want to describe your spiritual enemy, you have a spiritual enemy. Whether you want to call that spiritual enemy Satan or the enemy or the powers of darkness. Because you know that love isn't the, great, love isn't the only power at work in the universe. And you see, your spiritual enemy has a very clever trick that's been working for 2,000 years, which is to persuade you, convince you, niggle you, until you believe... That once you're off course, you'll never get back on course. Once you've fallen into sin in any way, well, that's it. And he lumps shame and guilt on top of you until you feel disqualified and discredited. But guess what? That's not the gospel. And we're going to look at the story of the Apostle Peter. You are not written off. There are some uniquely Christian words that I want us to remember and just hold in our hearts this morning. Redemption, reconciliation, restoration, resurrection. All these RE words mean going back. They mean going back to, returning to. And this is the joy of the gospel. You see, our society is obsessed with the idea of what's next. What's next? Somewhere over the rainbow. And we're obsessed with this idea that the moment we feel any kind of pain from people, we must dismiss them and cast them aside. The moment something's broken, it's broken for good. Because we want that somewhere over the rainbow. We're told to go after the new shiny things. That's not the gospel. God's primary aim is not making new things, but making things new. It's not quite the same thing. God does do new things all the time. And he's constantly doing new things in our lives. But people are mistaken when they say, oh, 
You can't go back because the past is a foreign country. Well, the past is a foreign country, sure. But we're allowed to go to foreign countries. That's literally what passports were invented for. God is always doing new things. But often, and this is what we miss as a church, often the new things that God is doing is taking us back into old situations with a softened heart and a hardened skin so we can bring healing and redemption to broken situations. And that's what we can do as a church. When Nehemiah in the Old Testament, when Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem, he didn't ask for fresh real estate. He didn't ask for a portion of land to build a shiny new city. He rebuilt the wall. This year, my prayer for you is that you would see walls rebuilt. You would see relationships restored. You would see gifts and talents redeemed. The pandemic has swept so much away. The thief, John 10, 10 tells us, the thief comes to kill, steal and destroy. And we know, don't we, from experience that so much of the time he does it. He does it. But Jesus has come so that we can have fullness of life. And look, not everything that's died is going to come back. When Jesus stood outside the tomb of Lazarus, he, Lazarus, he called Lazarus back. There were lots of other tombs there as well. He only called to Lazarus. Not everything that is dead can come back. But some things can. And we don't need to worry about what that is. We don't need to try and work out. What that is, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, strive for full restoration. My modus operandi, friends, is just try and restore everything, redeem everything, reconcile everything, and leave the sovereignty to God. But don't say someone's no for them. Don't say someone's no for them. I'm hoping that this afternoon, when you get back, some of you are going to make some phone calls and say sorry to the people that you've hurt. I'm hoping that this afternoon, some of you are going to ring people and forgive them for hurting you because we're Christians that's the deal we're not moralists passive aggression is not a fruit of the spirit defiance is not a fruit of the spirit and another thing that seeps in and it sounds Christian but it's not oh I forgive that person but I don't want anything to do with them that's not forgiveness I'm sorry, that may be where you are. I'm not prescribing a course of action for you. But there is a most excellent way that we can walk. Jesus doesn't say to people, well, I forgive them, but they can't come into heaven. (laughs) That's not forgiveness, is it? It's meaningless. We're too busy, and we have been so busy, and I've done it. You preach to yourself, first of all. I've been too busy building barricades and calling them boundaries. They're not boundaries, they're barricades. God says, guard your heart, but he doesn't say harden it. Today, as we, as we listen to what we hear about the Apostle Peter, I want you to know that you're not written off. That you are never condemned. You are never turned away. And as a result of that, those people who you've condemned in your heart, who you, if you've dismissed and discredited and downgraded, maybe this year at some point, maybe not today, Maybe at some point this year, it's time to forgive them. It's time to pursue reconciliation. 
knowing that on the other side of the valley of the shadow of death is, is healing. You can't have the resurrection without the crucifixion. We were talking about this last night, Matt and I. It's, it's a fact of life that to get to the resurrection, you've got to have the crucifixion. You can't have the good news without the bad. I mean, without the crucifixion, the resurrection would just be a bloke going outside. I mean, that happens all the time. So, one of the questions we might ask is, what would it mean for us? What would it mean for us? As we look at God making things new, not just making new things. What would it mean for us if the new thing that God was doing was taking our path back into those situations where we've been hurt and we really have been wounded, willing to take another wound for the sake of redemption? I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just asking, what would that look like for you? Knowing that by his wounds, our wounds are healed and can be healed. What would it mean to go back into those situations where you really have been wounded, with your armour on, ready to pursue peace and strive for full restoration, knowing that through forgiving people or apologising to people, you might get an amazing redemption story. You might get an amazing healing. You might lead someone to the Lord. You might lead someone back to the Lord. The Lord is, is with you. And we're looking at the Apostle Peter. But let's just remember that... Have you seen that program, A Place in the Sun, on Channel 4? I think it's Channel 4. This is what our society is based on. A place in the sun. I want something lovely and jazzy and glitzy over the horizon, across the sea. No, the gospel is not... The place in the sun, friends. The gospel is the repair shop. The gospel is not a place in the sun. The gospel is the repair shop. So let's look at the Apostle Peter. Well, let's not look. We don't have any pictures. But um, artist impression of what he might have looked like. So we meet the Apostle Peter. Now it's interesting because we know, <coughs> we know a whole load about the Apostle Peter. Um, we don't know lots about lots of people in the Bible. I mean, who knows anything about Melchizedek? No one. But we know loads about the Apostle Peter. We meet him uh, early on in the Gospels. And he's a fisherman. And Jesus meets him and he says, um, I, um, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Come with me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Now, this is really important. Because he meets Peter. And what he doesn't say to Peter is, Ah, well, you can come with me, but you're totally unqualified because I need you to be a baker of men. So really, you're going to have to go and do a course uh, making bread. He doesn't say that. He says, you're a fisherman. Perfect. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. What he says is you are in exactly the right place. The gifts that you have, the history that you have is perfect. All I need to do is slightly redirect it. And it's the same for you. Wherever you are, friends, you are not in the wrong place. The only thing that's important is what happens next. What's the next step you're going to take? You are in the right place. And the Lord is always able to just slightly redirect your gifting and your experience to build his kingdom for your good and for his glory. So, Jesus meets Peter and they go off and they're having a, a lovely time for a couple of years. In, in Luke 22, Jesus says to Peter, um, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you. What a... Cr- an absolutely scandalous thing to say. 
Peter, you know the source of all darkness in the universe, your spiritual enemy, Satan. Well, he's approached me, as he did with Job, and he said to me, let me have a run-up at Peter. Let me try and take him out. Because I see what you see in him. I see what you've got planned for him. Jesus said to Peter, I'm building my church on this rock. He said that to Peter. So Satan's come to Jesus and said, let me have a go at him. And Jesus says, yes. I was raised to believe that God would never let anything bad happen to me. And I was probably in my 20s before I realized that was a complete lie. The Lord, does not, the Lord isn't worried about letting us take a few wounds, friends. I wish he was. But he's not bothered about that because he knows what happens next. He says to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you. And when you have repented... He's saying to him, look, I'm going to let Satan have a go at you, and he is going to take you out, but no matter. Because there will be redemption. Once you've repented, strengthen your brothers. It's absolutely insane in terms of dialogue. But we see it happen, don't we? We see Satan have a run up at Peter. He takes him out. Three times, Peter denies Jesus, his Lord, his friend, his saviour. His provider, he denies him. Three times, Jesus has said to Peter previously, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Peter does the opposite. He denies his Lord and he runs from the cross. He does the exact opposite. And he's asked three times at the crucifixion, aren't, aren't, you, aren't you the guy who's with Jesus? No, I don't know him. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're, you're his mate. No, I don't know him. You're telling me that the guy being executed, you have nothing to do with. I don't know him. What a coward. What a failure. What a liar. Because he'd also said to Jesus, nothing bad will happen to you, Lord. And if it does, I'll stay with you. No. (laughs) Coward. Failure. Liar. Shambles of a man. On this rock I will build my church. And the reading, of course, was uh, John 21, which is the final chapter of the final gospel. And people often say to me when I'm around the country doing different things, okay, well, which God are you talking about? What is God like? And this is the thing I lead them to. If you want to know what God is like, this is what God is like. This is what God is like, what we're about to talk about now. John 21, the final chapter, oh hello, final chapter of the final gospel. They've gone back, they've gone back to fishing. They've gone back to fishing. Jesus has been resurrected, but it's all a bit confusing for them, and they're still dealing with the grief. They've gone back to fishing. And as it was read out, they're out, they're out all night. And what do they catch? They catch nothing. Because at this point, Peter is so dejected, he can't even fish for fish anymore. He can't fish for people and he can't fish for fish. A coward, a liar, a failure, P45. It's an absolute state. And then Jesus appears on the beach and he says to them, have you caught anything, chaps? I'm paraphrasing here. This is the Andy Kind translation. <laughs> have you caught anything, chaps? They know and we think you know that. Have you thought about taking your net and moving it to the other side of the boat? Now again, notice, notice what he's saying, what he's not saying. What he doesn't say is, You need to sail around to the next cove where the waters are blue and the fish are plentiful. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you're going to need a bigger boat because that's Jaws, that's not the Bible. (laughs) 
He doesn't tell them to move anywhere. He just tells them to turn. You are in the right place. Take your net and put it on the other side of the boat. Repent. That's all repentance is. It's just a change of mind and a change of direction. You are not in the wrong place. Everything that's happened is not a failure. And even if it is, it's okay. Just turn. Just change your mind. And obviously they change their minds. They change their direction. And they catch all the fish in the entire world. <laughs> I was trying to add a bit of drama. That's not technically true. but I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to be in the Shakespeare play at six form. I've never quite got over it. And anyway, then Peter races to the beach and he meets Jesus. Bear in mind, remember, this is the man who was commissioned by Jesus to be one of his top boys, to be the foundation on which the church will be built. And he has lied and he has fled and he is a coward and he has failed Jesus. He has betrayed Jesus. He has disobeyed Jesus. He's done all the things that religious people would say are condemning. And what does Jesus say to him? You want to know what God is like? This is what God is like. What does Jesus say to him? He says, come and have breakfast on the beach. What a scandal. Jesus meets the people the worst people, the people who caused him the most pain and the deepest wounds. And he says, come and have breakfast on the beach. He doesn't say, oh, look what the tide dragged in. Here we go, Mr. Rejecto. He doesn't get passive aggressive. He doesn't uh, try and Stockholm syndrome him. He doesn't say, how could you, Peter, after everything we've been through? He doesn't say, well, I forgive you, but I want nothing to do with you. He doesn't say, well, you know, trust takes time to rebuild. Because he's not passive-aggressive and he's not a control freak like you and me. He says, come and have breakfast on the beach. And what's breakfast? Fish. (laughs) The thing they've been out all night and they couldn't catch, he already has. God doesn't need your help. He just needs your yes. He just needs your yes. After everything, after everything you've been through, after everything you've done, after all the dark thoughts in your hearts and mind, he doesn't need you to do anything other than say, Jesus, I'm here and you have my yes. Because he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Three times, you heard it read out, Peter, do you love me? Three times. And Peter's like, yes, 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 I do, I do, I do. Peter doesn't see what's going on, but you and I can. Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus' response to that was to build Peter up three times. Three affirmations to overwrite and undermine the three rejections. You want to know what God is like? That is what God is like. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. Well, we're still on then, aren't we? The deal's still on. The plan is still the same. The world has changed for you, my friends, but God's plan for you is still the same. He's the only one not caught out. By what's happened. He's the only one not surprised by the depth to which you will sink morally. He's the only one who doesn't shy away from the amount of red wine you've drunk. For what you say about your friends and family behind their back. For what's on your internet history. He's not shying away from that. And he's the only one who isn't. Because he loves us. 
And all he needs to know is today, do you love me? And if you can say to Jesus today, yes, I love you. Yes, I'll follow you. Guess what? The repair shop's open. He doesn't need your help. He just needs your yes. The game is not over. Your life is not over. Your ministry is not over. It doesn't matter what you've done at this point. It's not that it has no meaning. But there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever you're doing now, today, now, if you can tell Jesus that you love him, he will say to you, well, let's go then. Come on. We go again. We move. We're still on for this. And the best is yet to come. And because of all the stuff you've been through, what happens next will be easier. You're actually more equipped by your failure and your repentance as a result of that than you would have been if you hadn't fallen. This is the scandal of the good news. People say to me, well, what's the gospel? And there's lots of ways of describing the gospel. Any piece of good news about Jesus that improves someone's belief about the world and themselves, that, that's sharing the gospel. But I like to condense it to three words to remember. The gospel in three words. I'll give it to you in a second. But it's based on this reality that you are not as good as you think you are, as you pretend you are, or as you claim to be. But nor are you ever written off, disqualified, discredited, or downgraded. The gospel in three words. You are flawed but adored. How about that? How about that for a zinger on a Sunday morning? You are flawed but adored. Wherever you've been, whatever you think about God, whatever you've said to God, whatever you've said about God, if you can say today to Jesus, I'll follow you, then hell will tremble because there's, there's nothing more powerful than a wounded person who lets God heal them. Wounds scare people. But when you let God heal your wounds, and they take time, once you let God heal your wounds, and they turn to scars, well, friends, scars convert people. Wounds scare people. Scars convert people. It's what happened in John 20, the previous chapter with Thomas. What converted Thomas was the fact that Jesus had his scars. Don't be ashamed by your scars. Don't bleed your wounds over people. Let them heal. Let God heal them. Let it take its time. There's no prescription for this. But when you have healed, when you have got those scars instead of wounds, show them off. Show off your scars. As badges of honour. You're following Jesus and you've got the scars to prove it. Go and tell people that the gospel is not a place in the sun, but the repair shop. And go and tell people. In Taunton, in Creech, wherever. That wherever they think, wherever they've been. The good news is that they are flawed, but adored. And today is always the day to say yes to Jesus. Amen.